bada bing bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder episode. And we're doing a haunting in Venice. It's based off of an Agatha Christie novel called Halloween Party. And it is your mm. classic murder mystery novel. And like any good old Agatha Christie novel, we've got a detective at the center of all of this. Here's my thing about Agatha Christie. I always feel like I'm going to outsmart her and then I never do. I'm like not even 2% close. I'm like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the answer to this one. And then I'm like reading it or watching it through and I'm like, there was just no way. At no point did I connect the fucking dots. (laughs) Let's see if you guys can connect the dots, okay? Now, this all revolves around Mr. Hercule Perot. And he is this retired now living in venice detective he's not taking any new cases he wants to live his life in some goddamn peace and quiet in solitude he never wants to think about another death another murder ever again he's actually even hired a bodyguard to make sure that nobody can harass him into taking new cases and most of his days He's living like a cute little housewife, okay? He's doing some of the world's most mundane things. Housewife without kids. Sorry for the correction, okay? Every morning he gets up, he slams open his front door. He's in a long coat. It's not a trench coat, like a regular coat. I wanted him to be in a trench coat because that's giving detective, but it's like one of those long winter coats. He's got a top hat and a cane. He also has one of those crazy mustaches that twirls at the end. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the most most quintessential detective look. He literally looks the part and he walks past this long line of people that sleeps overnight at his front door in hopes that he will just come back out of retirement and solve their case. He has no intention of doing such a thing. That morning, a man speed walks to keep up with Mr. Perot walking alongside him. And he's like, Monster Perot, you must help me. My parents died mysteriously last year. My brother soon after, and I'm in fear for my life. People are saying that we are cursed. Mr. Perot keeps walking, like doesn't even turn around to acknowledge this man's entire existence. He's just trailing behind him and he speed walks away. I think this shocks the guy because the man stops dead in his tracks, looking at Perot, who just keeps walking off. And the man is briefly contemplating, do I just leave the man alone? Like he clearly wants to be left alone. Or do I keep trying? Do I chase after this man? He chooses to chase after Mr. Perot to get his attention again. But boom, someone comes out of the alleyway on the side and slams him straight on the ground. It's Perot's bodyguard, Vitali, and he takes this job way too f***ing seriously. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's not that serious. He's out here body slamming people, throwing people into the Venice canals. He's threatening people. What did I say? Touch Mr. Perot again and I keep your hand. Yeah, he's an ex-cop. I think he's a little bored. I think he's a little... A little toxic, a little questionable. We'll get to him. Meanwhile, Mr. Mustache Man Perot living his best retired life, okay? He's living it up in this Venice mansion. He spends most of his time going to the farmer's market buying special eggs, like spotted colorful blue eggs, heritage eggs. And you just know that that chicken is living a good life in order to produce an egg like that. Those level of eggs. But he can't drop some of his PI detective habits. He's measuring the eggs every morning to see which one he wants. He's out here eating freshly poached eggs while reading his paper next to the Venice Canal. And it's his daily afternoon newspaper reading session. It looks like a Lake Como mansion, like a Lake Como-esque mansion on the water, European old money estate. Oh, so he's living there. That's his house. Yeah. So he's 
wealthy, wealthy. Oh, yeah. His bodyguard approaches him and says, Mr. Perot, there is a woman here that would like to speak with you. She says that she's in Venice on urgent business. She said that she's a friend of yours. He doesn't even look up from his newspaper. I don't have any friends. She said you would say that, so I should give you this. And he's got an apple, a red apple in his hand. Mr. Perot looks up. The authoress. He goes to open the front door and there's a woman in a green plaid coat, dark green fedora to match. She's flirty, mysterious, fun. She's Tina Fey. No, really, she's Tina Fey. <laughs> also, guys, if my eyes look absolutely unhinged throughout the video of this, it's because they're so dry. I've tried changing my contacts. I've tried eye drops. They're so dry. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's my allergies. I don't know what it is. Anyway, she looks at Perot and says, hello, young man. He's definitely not young. He's like 60-something, okay? Hello, young man. Is your mother at home? Perot invites this woman in and takes her to the rooftop of his mansion. And it's a pretty large, substantial rooftop overlooking the whole city of Venice. The water is right there. It's an incredible place. It would be the perfect place to, you know, say, host parties. Even grill something for the summer. Have loungers to lay on and soak in the sun. But this man has one single table and two tiny little chairs in the middle of this rooftop. He only enjoys the company of himself is the vibe that I get. He starts pouring tea for Ariadne. Bro, these names are crazy. I'm going to call her Adrian, okay? There's no way that I'm going to say Ariadne the whole video. Ariadne is now Adrian. And Perot tells her, you must forgive my bodyguard. His instructions are mine. No one may pass me but the pastry man. Twice a day only. Twice a day? (laughs) Wow, that's many times. He opens up a box of pastries and gently gestures to the author. Oh, Perot, you know me. Apples only till supper. Hercule Perot has really gone silent, hasn't he? Walled himself up in this retirement fortress. Cakes for cases. Yes, I am very much satisfied. Oh no, this is happiness, not satisfaction. Every writer knows the difference. Even picked Venice to hide in. A gorgeous relic slowly sinking into the sea, just like your mind without a challenge. Listen, listen. I don't know why these people talk like this. I don't know why they talk like this. I'm going to be honest with you. It gets unhinged later. It gets very unhinged. Perot puts down his pastry and she tells him, don't underestimate me for a clever turn of phrase. I'm the world's number one mystery writer after all. Or was, anyway. Bestsellers, 27 out of 30 books. Damn the critics on the last three. Adrian Oliver, it's good to see you. You're coming with me tonight. I'm what? Time to put some life back into your life. Did you not hear? This is very urgent news. She's already standing up, but he's still chowing down on his chocolate pastry, and he says, you are not the first who has come to seduce me with some irresistible case. It's not a case, Perot. It's much spiffier than that. You really are cut off from the world, you know? Do you know what today is? And with that, she just starts walking off, leaving him to call after her. And he's like, what is spiffier? Perot's playing hard to get. So either he really likes Adrian and the idea of working with her again is irresistible, or maybe he's just got like a fat crush on her because this man comes out of retirement and starts walking outside the door with her. Wait, where are they going? They're just walking into town and the bodyguard is trailing behind afterwards. And there's loud music playing and Tina Fey, 
Adrienne is American and she says, we Americans imported loud music and terrible chocolate, but we also brought back Halloween. There's a party tonight for the orphans, the children. So the author came to see him and be like, hey, there's a party tonight. Get out of your retirement. Let's hang out. Yeah, basically. Okay. And then they start walking through the town out of nowhere. And they're like, let's talk about it more while we walk through this town. And there's loud music playing, drunk people, kids just in parades of costumes. And they're running around through town. And Perot's just trying to keep up with Adrian's pace. And she sits down on a bench and says, Perot, I found something. I found someone. I can't explain it. I've looked at it from every which way and I can't figure it out. I knew you were up to something, Adrian. My friend, this is not what I wanted. She whips out an old book, all black and white, and there's this grainy picture of someone being arrested in the book. The unholy Miss Reynolds. That's what they call her. She's a spiritualist or some sort of medium, psychic, according to the papers. Joyce Reynolds, recently released from jail, was the last woman on record imprisoned under the terms of the Witchcraft Act. Look, Perot, I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. And then there's this one. Astonishing. I tell you, this Miss Reynolds, I sat at a seance once. And let me tell you, things happened, Perot. Ah, Miss Adrian, tricks happened. Listen, I am the smartest person I have ever met, and I can't figure it out. That's why I came to you, Perot. I came to the second smartest person I know. I need Detective Perot to pop this balloon or God help me, I will end up a believer. Spot the con because I cannot. Come with me to the orphan's Halloween party. And then afterwards, we are invited to a seance held by Miss Reynolds herself. Which like, you know, it's all fun and dandy during the day when the sun is out. Hee <laughs> hee, like look at Venice, you know, all these cuties little in their costumes dressed like the Grim Reaper, all the gondoliers, the ones that operate the gondolas on the Venice Canal, they're all in like Grim Reaper costumes during the day. So fun, hee <laughs> hee, so American. Yet at night, not so freaking fun, is it? Perot is on the gondola. Somehow he has been convinced by Adrian. It's nighttime. There's the Grim Reaper rowing his gondola and he's going to a palazzo. So a palazzo is basically a mansion on the edge of the canal and the basement is actually water that runs through. It's on top of the canal. There's fireworks reflecting off the surface of the water. There are other boats around, but they're just filled with kids, which is even scarier, honestly. But they're like all dressed up in their creepy costumes and they all pull up to the palazzo. I mean, it's a beautiful building for sure. But like if you showed me an article and said, these are the top 10 most haunted buildings in the entirety of this earth, I'd be like, yeah, that's definitely one of them for sure. It looks kind of creepy. So, you know, so far all the houses we've seen, they're castle-like, late coma wedding season type of castles. But this one looks like a torture boarding school where students would be tortured and then dumped into the water. It's a red brick building with smaller windows. The inside is confusing. There's balconies in the inside. Like, you know how the second floor balcony, it looks like a theater. It looks like an escape room set. It, it, it's unhinged it's claustrophobic but it's huge it's weird there's wooden doors everywhere that make the crunk sounds when you close them and then like you gotta do the lever that like you know what i mean do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> adrian is looking up at this monstrosity of a building and she's like there it is and the bodyguard speaks up Palazzo La Creme de Giovanni. <laughs> What's more scarier, this story or my accent? In Venice, we say every house is a haunted or cursed. 
Yeah, well, they're looking at it and this is not looking good. They walk inside. It's not any better on the inside. Wallpaper is peeling. Paint is chipping. The entire place looks like it hasn't been dusted in 10 years. There's candle lights, weird, creepy chandeliers. Do you know what my biggest pet peeve is? When I walk into a place that is beautiful, like a hotel or some sort of, you know, ambiance setting, they've got all these chandeliers that emanate 0.0% kilowatts of light. I don't even know if that's the right term. Why do you have a chandelier if there is no light coming from it? Is that not the purpose of the chandelier? There's like a bajillion fancy crystal chandeliers in this whole house and you can barely see anything. There's furniture. It's not abandoned, but all the furniture looks, yeah, like you're on the set of an escape room. It's like got that very quintessential creepy vibe. There's windows within the building, so you can peer in through random windows and see inside different rooms inside the house. So like the windows aren't leading outside. It's like leading into another room. It's creepy and it's not all wood. It almost has a colder institutional feeling. Kind of like the restricted area of, let's say, a Harry Potter movie. So the kids, the orphans... (laughs) are running in for the Halloween party and there's this giant sheet that's hung on the wall and they're gonna shine a light through it and do this very ornate puppet show for the kids the MC, the host what have you the narrator is talking to the kids all in one room and he's like are you ready kids yeah wait why are they here you know the orphans or Perot? <laughs> the detective. Oh, the detective. There's going to be a seance afterwards. A oh. seance is when you try to communicate with the dead. Oh, oh. take them at places, the same same house. I yes, see. yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like... You were talking about the kids. I'm like, that's very rude. Okay. So anyway, the guy goes, long ago, this palazzo was an orphanage. Good doctors and good nurses took care of good children. Until the plague. Plague makes people afraid and fear makes people do terrible things. One of the puppets starts screaming. Ah! Interesting style choice, okay? Perot turns to Adrian. Is this not too frightening for the children? Mm, scary stories make life less scary, right? The presenter continues. The children soon realized they were alone, locked inside to die, starving, calling, clawing. The puppets scream again. Ah! Some say the children are still hiding in this palazzo and they want more children to join them. So you be careful, kids, for they want revenge on the doctors and nurses who left them here to die. Watch out for the mark of the children's vendetta. The children honestly look like they're about to bust out into tears. And the man says, none of you children are a doctor, correct? Or a nurse? No. Good. Then I guess it's safe to start the party. And they open the wooden doors and the children are running from room to room. There's games set up all over in this mansion. There's arts and crafts. It's cute. There's an apple bobbing station. Have you ever been apple bobbing? I don't know what that is. It's a bucket of water with apples and you stick your whole face in trying to bite an apple. Mm. Yeah. What a game. <laughs> yeah, and the prize is a water-soaked apple that a lot of people probably made out with already. Oh, you get to keep the apple. Yeah, you get to eat the apple. Oh, yeah. should we do that for our next gathering? <laughs> An apple popping station. You want to mix your saliva into a bucket of water and then have me go into the bucket of water. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. 
So anyway, throughout this entire party, party, there's kids eating cake. There's kids apple bobbin. But in the corner, there's this one little boy with the mask on. And he's sitting next to the fireplace reading Edgar Allan Poe. And like, of course, there's always that one kid that's just doing too damn much. That's this kid. A woman walks up to him. She's the housekeeper of the mansion. And she gives very strong teacher vibes. Like the way that her hair is curled into a bob. Her voice is nice, but it's very stern. And the kid's name is Leopold. He looks like a nerd that that would obliterate you in a fight. Like, I don't know how else to describe him. He looks nerdy, but in the way that if you got into a verbal fight, he would completely decimate you with a very witty insult. Mm. And you'd be like, damn, Leopold, why did you have to go there? He's wearing these big old specs, really massive glasses, just taking up half his face. Anyway, the housekeeper, Olga, comes up to him and says, Leopold, Leopold, there's an actual literal party and you're hiding in a book. I thought you might play with other children for once. Miss Olga, games are frivolous. The Halloween calls for horror stories. Don't you think so, Miss Olga? Don't you at least want some cake? The cake is for the orphans. I'm going to go check on my father. He's not really good with these types of parties. The boy has a father? Yeah, he's not an orphan. He's like a friend of the mansion owner. The daddy. Mm -hmm. The dad's name is Leslie. Leslie Leopold. Leslie Leopold, right? Anyway... Adrian and Perot have split up briefly. Perot is busy browsing the weird, creepy mansion, trying not to get hit because the kids are now swinging around wooden sticks like old knights. It's kind of weird. And Adrian has a woman stuck on her like glue. It's Miss Olga. Miss Oliver, it's a thrill to have you here. You are my favorite author. Ah, thank you. Your mysteries give me the faith. The wicked will meet justice. Sadly, uh, life doesn't really round out so well as detective fiction. Olga finally leaves Adrian so that Perot can sit down and take her spot. They both sit on a little armchair in the corner of the house. And the house is, like I said, very interesting. There's balconies that are overlooking the main floor, but it's like balconies inside the living room. And it's like olive garden level balconies. They're not like your little, ooh, I'm looking over the second floor railing balconies. I'm talking the rounded Romeo and Juliet. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those, like really extra. Yes, yes. It's like those theater style balconies. It's very fascinating. And up there is a woman with blonde, soft, curly hair in this striking, silky blue dress. And she's comforting a crying child. Both Adrian and Perot look up at her and Perot says, that is our hostess, the opera singer, Rowena Drake. She owns this house, a diva's life of glamour. Yet she lives in a house like this. Adrian looks around. Where did all that money go? Everyone who ever lived in this house falls victim to some sort of tragedy. At least that's the legend anyway. The children's vendetta, they call it. Someone sees a child's shadow on the wall, and then darkness comes. Like Rowena's daughter a year ago. The owner's daughter drowned. Yeah, that's who we're here to hear from tonight during the seance. The lost girl from beyond. I will have you know that I do not believe in such things. Yeah, well, we'll see. Meanwhile, Leopold goes to check on his dad, who's sitting on an armchair alone in a room that kind of looks like a library, but he just looks really down. Leopold is like, Dad? (gasps) Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. Are you all right, Dad? Do you need to take another pill? No. Take some punch, then? Would you like some punch? We could go if you prefer. I know you don't like these gatherings. It's all right, Leopold. 
I promised Rowena I, I would stay. I guess that's good, Dad. I was looking forward to the seance. Rowena, the opera singer, the host, the owner of the house, she looks over into the room where Leopold is with his... This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dad, and she smiles and walks off to join Mr. Perot. This is the first time they're meeting, and Perot gives her a nice little curt nod with his head and says, You do the children a great kindness, madam. Adults, too. You care to bob for an apple, Mr. Perot? They both look at the kids willingly drowning for like five seconds to bite an apple, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of odd. I'm glad the children are around. It's been far, far too long that there was laughter in this house. Well, it is a remarkable palazzo, Rowena. You can have it. I can't afford to fix it. I can't stand to look at it. And no one will buy it at any price. Not after... We see a flashback of her daughter jumping into the canal from their third floor balcony and Rowena throwing herself into the water to save her, but she's gone. She's dead. Rowena snaps out of it. Forgive me, Mr. Perot. I'd hope that seeing all these faces tonight might make it hurt less. And then she gets a tap on her shoulder. Mrs. Rowena? Yes, Olga. Our guest is here. God, I'm actually so nervous. Perot turns to Rowena. You believe in psychics? This house made me believe. It holds voices, whispers, sobbing. My daughter used to stay up at night talking. I thought it was to her dolls. My daughter, to hear her voice again, a single word, I would give that lady, Miss Reynolds, all that I have. A boat pulls up into the house, a gondola, rather, like a wooden boat, and two women, one in a full black cape, like she looks like Severus Snape type of cloak, full cloak. She has a weird painted mask on, and her assistant looks like she's about to burst into tears for some reason. <laughs> the woman dramatically takes off her masks. She's got gray hair. It's like curled softly around her face, and it's Michelle Yeoh. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Oh, Yeah. Oh, wow. She won't even make eye contact with anyone. She's just staring at the entrance into this house, looking around. They haven't even made it inside, and it looks like she's seeing something. This is the psychic. She whispers to nobody in particular. This one will be very sad. Mrs. Reynolds, everything is prepared for you in the salon, as your assistant has specified. So noisy, your home. I have a feeling that she's not talking about the children that are very much alive and inside the house. Rowena's not getting it. She goes, the children will be gone before we begin. So many everywhere. Horrible memories. Your daughter's room is on the third floor, isn't it? How did you? May we do the seance there? Of course. Joyce Reynolds gets led into the foyer area and it's all lit by candlelight. So I had to really squint throughout the entirety of this movie. And in that room, Perot and Adrian are waiting for her. She notices the author first. Adrian Oliver, my nemesis. We meet again, the unholy Joyce Reynolds. The press coined that one. Not sure if I like it. Perot finds his opening and he jumps in to introduce himself. Bonjour, madame. 
I must say that I expected someone a bit more. Adrian passive aggressively finishes his thought. Dramatic? Ridiculous? A faker? You expected an old crone, didn't you? Ah, yes, that's the perfect word. Joyce, the crony, the old crony. That's what I expected. I didn't ask to be what I am. Why I like the term medium is sort of like middling. I'm not big, nor am I small. I'm not interesting at all, but I can talk to the dead. And you? Oh, I am Hercule Perrault, the detective. Well, detective, you are anything but medium. You're quite famous. Am I your next quite famous case? Oh, no, Joyce, I am quite retired from cases. But you are here to discredit me, are you not? Isn't that why you brought the great writer along with you? Joyce, I am here as a favor to Miss Oliver, who is eager to divine your means of divination. I must tell you, madam, I have been all my life uncharmed by your kind. <laughs> my kind. Opportunists who prey on the vulnerable, no? Damn. You don't believe in the soul's endurance after death. Have lost my faith in that. How very sad for you. Yes, it is most sad. The truth is sad, though. They start making their way to the great room where there's this giant, overly big and bulky, of like the size of the room compared to the chandelier in that room is just unhinged. The chandelier is massive. Kids are running around screaming and yelling while this group, the adults, they're walking, getting closer and closer to the great room. And Perot is just going on a tangent. Please understand, madam, I would welcome with open arms any honest sign of devil or demon or ghost. For if there is a ghost, there is a soul. If there is a soul, there is a God who made it. And if we have God, then we have everything. It, meaning or Order, justice, but I have seen way too much in this world. Countless crimes, two wars, the bitter evil of human indifference, and I conclude, no, no God, no ghost, with respect, no mediums who can speak to them. And right when he finishes monologue, the chandelier falls from the ceiling and crashes onto the ground, shattering. And the kids what? go silent. There are shards of grass everywhere, the room is dark, and Joyce turns to Perot and says... You were saying? All the kids from the orphanage are rushed out of there, and the nuns who have brought them in turn to the big wooden double doors, close them shut, and then do the, the chest cross. My grandma used to be Catholic. I forget what it's called. You know how they make the oh, yeah, cross yeah. on their chest? Yes. They don't like whatever energy is in here. And adding to this creepy energy, it is thundering, and it's raining outside. There's about to be a storm. Because why? Because it's an Agatha Christie novel. That's why there's about to be a storm. You don't need the weatherman. You pick up an Agatha Christie, there's going to be a storm. Olga's having a bad time, though, because it is her duty to clean it up. She's exhausted. She's saying, as if I didn't already have enough to clean. She didn't even be here past dark. Leopold tries to reason with her, so it's clear they have a pretty close relationship. Olga, I don't think they'll bother us. Perot's bodyguard was overhearing this conversation and he's really confused. B who won't bother us? W what happens past dark? Meanwhile, Adrian is asking Perot, you still don't believe? Adrian, a ceiling weakened by water damage, unused by frolicking footsteps. So you give no credit to theatrical timing. Perot is not amused. He asks Olga to lead him up Alicia's room so that he can see the fake seance. Alicia is the daughter. Now, he wants to come up with a very scientific, logical, investigator reasoning behind why this seance and why Miss Reynolds is a little faker. And leave so that he can eat another three croissants when he gets home. 
Olga says, follow me. Miss Alicia's room is up here. So they walk into a room where Leopold's dad, Leslie, is singing to himself. And he looks, um, he looks traumatized. Yeah, he's singing to himself, almost sweating. And when the lights go on again, he's singing, when the lights go on again, all over the world. And the... Perot pauses to stare at the man, but he's more intrigued by Joyce. He turns to Olga and says, If I may, Olga, please, how did the girl Alicia die? The balcony, the canal, drowning. Ah, so a suicide. It wasn't her fault. They pushed her to it. Leslie, the dad, speaks up. Olga, please. Olga leads Perot deeper down the hallway until the, they approach these double doors. It's like a dome-shaped, really dark blue, beautiful color, but the paint is peeling off and it looks abandoned. Olga is about to open the door into Alicia's bedroom, and Perot says, Oh, please wait. Who's been inside here tonight? Miss Reynolds, her assistant. Oh, no one yet. I have the only key. No one stepped foot inside here since Miss Alicia passed but me. So the medium hasn't even gotten there yet. Olga pushes the brass ornate looking key into the lock and she turns it. It clicks. I only came in here to dust a bit and check on Harry. And who is Harry? They open the doors and a parrot starts screeching at Perot's face. I think it's safe to assume that that is Harry, the parrot. Yeah. Her friend. Alicia told him everything. He used to speak before she died. Now he just cries. And everything in this room is just as she left it. Miss Rowena wouldn't let me move a single thing in here. Perot looks around, and honestly, the room is beautiful. I mean, the walls, the ceilings, they're painted like a forest. So the roots of the trees, they start at the bottom of the walls. And the skinny trunks, they go all the way up the wall. And finally, the leaves at the top of the tree, it's on the ceiling. She's got this gold, ornate, beautiful mirror. Her cello is leaned up against the wall. Her makeup vanity has a few pieces of makeup on it. There's a cup of tea at the edge of the table. Olga tells Perot a bit more about the family. Alicia and Rowena were inseparable, especially when Alicia was young. The palazzo was their oasis, only a week at a time between travel for the opera, but Alicia had the children's ghost for company. Alicia had grown up so beautiful. And then she met her chef, Maxime. They were engaged so fast, so in love, though she and her fiancé fought quite a bit. It was after a quarrel that she moved back here to the palazzo. That's when she started to see the children. They wanted her for themselves. She suffered her last weeks in that bed, seeing things, shadows. The children were calling for her, she said. They want you here with them. They drove her mad. Miss Rowena wouldn't leave her side, begging the spirits to let her be, but they didn't. Olga looks straight into Perot's eyes and says, They left the mark of the children's vendetta. And we see a flashback of Alicia being pulled out of the water and there's like this claw mark down her back. It's like the wolf print, like the Wolverine scratch. You know what I'm talking about? That is on her back. Apparently, that's the mark of the children's vendetta. The police stated that the cuts were from the fall, but it just doesn't make sense. They hear Joyce coming down the hall. Listening. Olga turns to Perot and whispers angrily. Now this woman, she wants to disturb Alicia's soul listening and i'm telling you monsieur this is not right this is against nature and the good lord what does listening mean this is how she tells the souls she's listening oh yeah oh. Joyce. Mm-hmm. she's like i'm a good listener i'm an active listener <laughs> listening Bruh. yeah and uh, olga tells perot someone will have to pay 
listening. Joyce and everyone are now in the room. And Joyce just says to no one in particular, so much pain here. She walks over, grabs a stuffed animal that was sitting on top of Alicia's cello. She holds it in the air at like an arm's length distance from herself. Baba. Rowan stands up, mascara smudged, tears streaming down her face, and she can't believe it. Baba the rabbit, how, how did you know? And the bulb right next to them shatters, and the bell rings. Rowena goes to check who it could possibly be because why is the doorbell ringing in the middle of a storm? It is a young man in a full suit. He looks like a douchebag, if I'm being honest with you. And Rowena says, Maxime, no. This is Alicia's ex-fiance, the one that got into a fight with her, which led her coming back to the palazzo here and dying. What? He holds up an envelope. Maxime, be at the palazzo, 10 p.m. Important news about Alicia Drake. I was invited. Not by me, you weren't, Maxime. You're always trying to kick me out, Rowena. It never worked before. If there's something to hear, I'll hear it. We'll tell that to your new fiancé, Maxime. Waited a whole six months after Alicia died. I hear she's insensibly rich. Maxine smirks. Land grants from King George Rich. Bought me my own bistro on Madison Avenue. I'm going to be a New Yorker and a rich one, which is the only kind to be. You should come visit. Rowena, I'll buy you a hot dog sometime. Do whatever you want, Maxime. You always do anyway. And as she's walking away, Maxime calls after her. I lost her too, you know. As they head back upstairs, the housekeeper, Olga, and the others are seen carrying more chairs and lanterns into Alicia's room. And uh, Maxime is like, what the heck is going on? A seance? Christ in a hat. Is that what this is? They walk into the room where the tables are arranged in a circle so that everyone can sit down staring at each other, except a few. So sitting down, we have Rowena, the mom, the housekeeper, Olga, Leslie, the dad, Leopold, the son, Adrian Oliver, the mystery author, and Maxime, the ex-fiance. Standing in the middle of the arranged tables is Joyce, the psychic medium. Her assistant, Desdemona, is on the side next to a typewriter. And Perot is going around walking and just observing the seance. Leslie, the dad, thinks the typewriter is interesting. A typewriter? No Ouija board? Crystal ball? Joyce looks at him and smirks. I think myself more of a secretary than anything. The voices speak and I take dictation. Leopold said, perhaps you should go to the library and read. Father, I want to see Alicia. She was my friend too. Joyce turns to him intrigued. You're not scared of ghosts, little boy? I talk to ghosts here and there from time to time. They say that you're a fake. Thunder strikes outside. And Joyce says, it's time. No one touched me until the trance has ended. Alicia Drake, I believe it was you who called me. And Joyce is looking at no one in particular and saying, the house is spilling with the dead. Some souls can't let go. Her assistant looks concerned. Miss Reynolds, do we stop? Joyce has her hands straight out in front of her like she's holding them in place about to play the piano or something. And she says, no, if someone wants to be heard, we are here listening. Spirits, you scream and shout and no one hears. We do now. Alicia Drake, find your voice. Adrian starts holding out her arms. Whew, it just got cold. Does, did anyone else feel a chill? Joyce continues. Is someone here? 
Joyce's middle finger bends abruptly at a right angle and simultaneously the typewriter in the corner makes a click noise. Desdemona walks over. The assistant rips out the piece of paper, holds it up, and it says, Why? Yes. She said, Is someone here? And they clicked Y on the keyboard. Rowena looks around. She's the closest to the typewriter and she looks terrified. No one touched the key. I swear, no one touched the key. Maxime, the ex-fiancé, says she must have. You can't all be such fools to believe this. Olga isn't even listening. She just keeps uttering, this is wrong. This is very, very wrong. Joyce continues, who is there? Alicia Drake? I'm listening. We are here listening. It's the hallow tide. We are close. Your spirit is close. Your voice is loud. Alicia! And the typewriter clicks. Desdemona pulls out the paper, and at the center is just a single letter again. A. Alicia. Alicia, I feel you are in pain. Rowena is about to start crying. Does it hurt my daughter? Please tell me. Joyce continues. Did someone hurt you? Typewriter clicks. The assistant rips out another sheet. Why? But Perot has had enough. He screams out, no. But Adrian is in too deep. She wants to know more. I mean, perhaps for the curiosity of her next book or something. Perot, let her finish. No. First, let us all meet. He clicks on the lights. The room brightens up. Joyce looks up at the ceiling and her eyes are fluttering, like open and shutting. She looks possessed. But Hercule Perot is not even caring. He walks over to the chimney and says, let us meet a secret confederate in the chimney. He reaches his hand up and pulls down and a body tumbles out of the fireplace. Desdemona, the assistant, looks the most concerned and she screams, Nicholas, are you hurt? I'm all right. Ah, Nicholas, the second assistant. I am pleased to meet you. I am Hercule Perot. By your similar and piercing green eyes, I take it you are the first assistant's half-brother. He grabs a black brick-looking thing from Nicholas's hand. Ah, magnetic switch. He clicks it, and the typewriter clacks. Ah, voila, the talking typewriter. Rowena looks heartbroken. A A fake? Perot turns to give everyone his thoughts on the case. Olga, your dedication to housekeeping could be improved. No one had been in this room except you, yet my new friend left his footsteps on the fireplace. The bright scratch at the keyhole indicates a lock was recently picked. Miss Adrian, you must find a new subject for your book. Miss Rowena Drake, I am sorry for your loss, but this oracle is a fake. Everyone turns to Joyce, but she's spitting in her chair and there's no way that you can even come up with an explanation for that. She's screaming, she's grabbing at her face. If this is an act, it's an Oscar-winning act. Like the chair? You get it? Ah. Because she wouldn't ask it. Ah, but like, <laughs> yeah. so you're saying the whole chair is spinning in the middle of the room yeah, but by it's itself. Like, yeah, and it's hardwood. Like, how do you spin like that? It's not right. even a rolling chair. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. She's spinning. She's grabbing at her hair, her face. She's like, it looks like she's just pulling at her face because something is happening. Rowena starts looking around and everyone looks terrified. They realize that Baba the bunny is missing and Rowena is freaking out and she's demanding if someone took it. Most of the guests look too scared to even answer. They're just all staring at Joyce and she's screaming, Alicia! She keeps spinning until she finally stops facing Rowena and she says, Mama. But instead of Joyce's voice, it's Alicia's. What? Joyce keeps talking and it sounds like a merge of their two voices. It starts with Joyce, but then it clearly ends with Alicia. And it's almost like two people inside the same body having a conversation. And it's not even Joyce trying to sound like Alicia. This is a level that is not replicable. It's Alicia's voice. There is no doubt about it. 
She keeps talking about how thirsty she is. And Rowena says, Alicia? Hurt. Why did you leave me? I never left you, sweetie. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to die. Finally, someone speaks up from the group. What is happening? The chair and Joyce start spinning again. Alicia, show me. So Joyce is now trying to talk to Alicia, who is in her body. I see her on the balcony. I see Alicia and she's not alone. She didn't jump. And then she screams, murder. And Alicia's voice you hear, you killed me. You killed me. Joyce is trying to talk to her. Who? Show me who. And Alicia just keeps screaming, you killed me. You killed me. They keep going back and forth and back and forth until Alicia's voice screams one last time, murder. The typewriter clacks once more. M. Who's M? Maxime is M. And the church bells ring. Olga is the only sensible one and she's praying in Italian. And she says, satanic. She truly is unholy. That Miss, Miss whatever her name is. But Leopold is reasonable. But Olga, it was Alicia's voice. Someone must have killed her. One of the members says, we can't prove any of it was real. Then what was it? Showmanship, theater, catching us in a group hysteria. That wasn't War of the Worlds on the radio. The damn doors blew open. I can't explain it. I basically went to a seance and I am the one that has been brought back from the dead because <laughs> last night, listen, tell me why Mango's throwing up. She's having a show. It was a whole thing. So we took a pause because what's a day without rotten mango? So we're back the next day and it's only going to get crazier. Rowena has been sitting up in a daze and she finally speaks up. I can. I can explain it. That was my daughter. Perot is disturbed. He grabs his things and he starts heading down to leave. Welcome to Baking a Clown because I'm a clown. In the first part, I call the author, the authoress, Adrian or Adriana. <laughs> I interchanged it. But by the second part, the very next day, I started calling her Ariadne. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ariadne is chasing after Perot, saying, Oh no, don't you dare leave without saying it. You saw what I saw. And what you saw was... Was fake. It was real, Perot. That woman is living proof. <gasps> There's a title. Sure as hell. Joyce is my new next book, and sure as hell, it's a hit. A big, big book. Good God, I have to start writing right away. The woman who stumped Hercule Perot. I admit I cannot solve all of her methods in this moment, but of course, I will. You won't. Come on, Perot, you should be relieved. And how incredible to believe, to know that the world still has mystery. A god who cares enough to make abiding souls after death comes? Nothing. It's something. If there is a god, Ariadne, he would not break his rule for her. Thunder rumbles, and as Perot is on the way out, we see why Leslie is around. He's the family's personal doctor, and he's checking on Joyce. And he says, you're all right. Joyce sees Perot leaving, and she runs after him. I hope you'll be back tomorrow. Rowena made me promise to sit for her again. Sit means seance. And Ariadne says I should prepare to be quite famous. These spirits were particularly brutal. Perot is scoffing at her while she talks. Like he thinks that Joyce, the medium, is a big old scam. And Joyce continues, Seances always exact a price. As I'm sure you do, Joyce. You are amongst frauds, the gifted one though. I wish I was a fraud, Perot. 
It'd be much less painful. I think you think you know something of this, Mansoor. Someone dies and we comfort the grieving with secrets plain to us. And the only thing that stopped the pain was telling the mourners what I heard, to ease their suffering as only I can. You begrudge that? You made a mother believe her daughter's soul is in torment. That is not generous, not gentle, nor humble. I felt pain, Detective Perot. I saw a murder. Did you see who killed Alicia Drake? It was not revealed. Maybe tomorrow. What a lucrative convenience, Joyce. But you. Death everywhere around you, Perot. All your life. Soldiers. Friends. Catherine. Perot looks up and his eyes are watering. Because, like, how does Joyce know about Catherine? Is Catherine someone that he loves, right? But Joyce continues. We shall not meet again, Perot. She starts walking off. And he turns around and says, You keep persisting that you're the real deal? And if I'm not, Perot, who's getting hurt? Magic won't come unless you call it in. Unless it really is all true. Lighten up, pal. She throws her mask and her cloak over him. And she says, you might have fun. I'd say to remember me, but I know you will. And with that, she walks off, leaving him in a coat and mask. He walks back into the house while he waits for the bodyguard to grab a gondola for them, like one of those boats. He looks around the creepy house, and with all these statues, he just decides, I'm going to go apple bobbing in the apple bobbing station. Why the fuck would he decide to go apple bobbing? So he walks over to the apple bobbing thing, lifts up his mask, and starts bobbing for apples. He's about to grab one with his mouth when someone comes up behind him and starts pushing his head deeper into the water, straight up drowning this man. He's fighting, trying to at least get his head above the water. They keep smashing him to the sides of the bobbing tank. Perot finally passes out, head in the water, about to drown to death. His bodyguard, Vitaly, finally rushes in. Monsieur Perot, Perot. He grabs Perot, throws him on the ground, and he's like pumping his chest. Water comes splurting out of Perot's mouth. He's alive. He's gagged, but he's alive, you know? And Vitaly says, Monsieur Perot, can you hear me? Who did this? I left, uh, I left Joyce and I, I spotted the apple bobbing station. It was so silly of me and I lifted my mask and <gasps> it was her mask. Where is Joyce? Implying someone was going after Joyce and trying to kill her, but went for him instead. And in the distance, a woman screams and the whole house hears it. Who's that? What's going on? Did you guys hear that? They all run to the courtyard and there is Joyce impaled by a statue. Impaled by a statue? It looks like she was pushed off the roof and a statue impaled her. Anyway, Joyce is dead. It looks like she's been thrown off the roof and impaled onto one of those creepy Greek statues and blood is just gushing out of her. The house is basically on lockdown. Someone in this house has killed Joyce and tried to kill Perot by accident. They all gather together in one room, shaken up. The bodyguard states he will call his old police station because he used to be a police officer. I should know the man on duty. Ariadne brings Rowena a cup of tea. I thought my cupboards were bare. No, I scrounged up some tea left from the party. Found your honey in the linen closet. Ah, thank you. Perot is just sitting there, taking all of this in. He hears behind him the two assistants to Joyce, the half-siblings are whispering to each other in English. What do we do? She's our ticket. We'll get there without her, I promise. Leslie is asking around, None of you saw anyone on the stairs? Maybe she jumped. She seemed the type. 
No, not Miss Reynolds, never. She talked about a murder. She could have known something. You still think she's real? Please, she made up a murder idea to impress a famous author and to bait the hook on a new income stream. Then why would she be dead now? Gravity. She spoke in Alicia's voice. Rowena looks at Maxine, the ex-fiance of Alicia, and he just says, don't look at me. I was being interrogated by your little lady writer. Ask her, then ask the doctor where he was. Leslie, the doctor, hits back. Sick bastard already killed here once. What does that even mean? Olga is the only one not doing this tit for tat. She's distraught and she screams, it wasn't either of them. You know what it was. Hateful things live in this house. That woman called to them and they answered. The ghosts of the children. The two assistants freeze. In, in the war, before she did these seances, Miss Reynolds was in the British Army. She served with the camps at Malta. She was a nurse. Remember the children hate nurses and doctors. Mm-hmm. Rowena looks terrified. A, a nurse? The children's vendetta. The bodyguard slams the phone down. Everybody goes silent and states, the canals are not safe. We can't get a boat here until the storm clears. Well, when, when will that be? It's out of police control. Olga wants out. She starts screaming. Well, I, I won't sit here and wait. I never spent the night in this house before and I won't now. Perot runs out of the room and everybody hears the metal gates click shut and they're screaming and running after him like, what the hell? They run out and the man is locking up the main gate. Hey, you can't do this, sir. You can't lock us in here. Rowena's asking, what are you doing, Perot? This is my home. You can't trap us in my home. He locks the gate shut and he turns around. A medium boasts of having a vision of murder. Now she is dead. One of you felt her eyes upon you, killed her, tried to kill me. No one should leave this place until I know exactly who. Bodyguard, stand here and see these gates do not open. Maxine, stand here and watch the bodyguard. The bodyguard is flabbergasted. You need him to watch me? You suspect me? I was a cop. Nicholas, the assistant, scoffs. All the more reason to suspect you. Perot isn't even listening to them. He looks at Ariadne and says, you will have your chance to speak. Ariadne, call back to the police. Tell him Hercule Perot is on the case. Ariadne runs and calls the police and then goes to see where Perot is investigating. He's at the top floor. Oh, is this where she was pushed? The attempt on my life occurred at approximately two minutes after the time of midnight. You were the first to find the body at... Don't you dare look at me like a murder suspect. We're old friends, Perot. Every murderer is someone's old friend. But you have written too many clever murders to fall at the foot of your first victim. And you are far more valuable to me in the investigation. Which is why I ask you to assist me in the questioning. Okay, when do we start? When you collect for me our host... Ariadne goes to fetch Rowena. This is going to be the first person questioned by Perot. Rowena takes them upstairs to a courtyard garden and there's like vines crawling up the building. The plants are all dead. There's statues lining the area. It's like a haunted Greek garden, like dark academia, but dead, depleted, soulless. It's thundering. It's lightning. They all have their umbrellas out. Rowena says, the garden was our secret hideaway. It was my daughter's favorite place. I let it all die. Our bees... We made honey. My daughter, she used to tease me. All this effort for a teaspoon of wildflower honey that we can buy for six lira. I held hope that they'd survive, but poor things. 
<clears throat> How did you come to invite Mrs. Reynolds to your home? Well, I read about her in a magazine. I didn't think about it too much, but then one day out of the blue, she wrote to me a letter from a stranger. But she would know you from the opera, no? But it was the name that she used. She said that she heard a message from Aspasia. That was a pet name that Alicia used to use for me. Ah, Aspasia, the great love of King of Pontus. It was Mozart's first opera. It was my first starring role. Alicia was born two months before, and I found my voice because of her. And ever since, I can't sing without knowing that she's waiting in my dressing room. And I still can't. You will never perform again? There is no music without her. I turned down marriage proposals without even a thought. She said yes to her first, to the charming chef, Maxime Girard. He is a pompous ass out to marry the biggest purse he can find. When they got engaged, I tore out every flower in the garden and I got on a boat to Istanbul. But he must have found that I wasn't as rich as he'd thought. One of the best days of my life was when he said that he had met someone else and that he had called the whole thing off. But that's when the worst days started. Your daughter's illness. It's like her mind was on fire. She was just like a little girl again. She starts crying and Perot says, thank you, Miss Drake. The wind is so strong. The windows are rattling. They go to talk to Olga next, the housekeeper in the kitchen. She's sitting eating a croissant. I'm a terrible housekeeper. I'm all she could get. You know, it's a superstitious city. But you are superstitious too, no? This palazzo you believe is haunted, yes? Miss Rowena may own it, but the spirits possess it. And where were you, Madame Semenoff, when those murderous ghosts turned Joyce Reynolds into one of their own? <sighs> Why do you ask all these questions? I did nothing wrong. Ariane smiles and whispers, it's just what he does, or used to do. I'm helping him, you know? He's back at it for the moment. It's going well. What is it that you do? What is it that I do? Perot? Well... When a crime has been committed, I can, by application of order and method and the slow extinguishing of my own soul, find without fail or doubt who done it. Oh, I guess like in her books, your silly little detective from Friendland, he's making lists. Do you base yourself on her writing? Ariane tries to take charge. <clears throat> Would you mind telling us where you were at midnight? For the list. In the music room with Miss Rowena. And she joined you there at midnight? You are absolutely sure of this. I was watching the clock, and I was grateful that she did. But you did not approve of the fortune teller. I believe you called her satanic. Uh, maybe your mind goes, perhaps, to Exodus 22.18? Perot says, Do not suffer a sorceress to live. The Bible warns against it with reason. A witch on her Sabbath? To be drowned? To be burned? Or thrown off a high balcony? Basically, he's saying, You're so religious. You probably killed her because she's a witch. And Olga's like, no, I'm no vigilante. But your scripture is keen. I found my call to be a nun before I could read. And then I met Mr. Semenov, my husband. He came to fix the roof. And God set challenges. Basically, she's saying, I'm not that religious. Like, I had sex. I wasn't a nun. Like, I was a nun, but then I didn't. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, get out of here. Perot then goes to question Leslie. This is like the, the creepy dad of the little kid. And mm -hmm. he is just explaining how he has PTSD from serving in the war. And he tried to self-exit his life. But the only thing that matters to him is his son, Leopold. He said, I wrote Leo a letter and then I shot myself through the chest. I was told to stop practicing when I got home. So he survived his self-exit attempt during the war, got home, and he can no longer be a doctor. 
and Perot says, except for one patient last year, Alicia Drake. You were her doctor, weren't you? It was a favor to Rowena. Nobody else would see her, not here. I'd been their family doctor for so long, and I should have said no. But you were at a disadvantage there, because you are in love with Rowena Drake. I'm lucky to be in her life at all. I know this has been... Perot is trying to find the words, but he starts hearing this damn humming, and Ariadne notices. So Perot, while he's questioning all these people, he starts to slowly lose it too. He starts feeling like he can hear little girls like singing, humming. And when he asks other people, did you hear that? They're like, what's going on? No, we didn't hear anything. And he tries to snap out of it. Sorry, Leslie, Dr. Leslie. I know this has been difficult, but in your opinion, could Alicia Drake have been murdered? Alicia told me what she saw. Before she died, she said that the children were taunting her. I didn't listen. I wrote it off as a broken heart and that she was going mad. She needed help. I gave her sedatives. It's like giving milk to the starving. There is no such thing as psychic phenomena. There is psychic pain. A loony like me should have known. I don't know what any of this means. Like, the way that these people talk, I don't know what you're saying, bro. I just know what you're saying. Like, you know, this really bothers me about old detective novels because I love old detective novels. But I'm like, what are you saying? Like, this is not good investigation skills if we're all confused about the message here. Like, what are we, what are we getting out of here? Also, does every private investigator have to walk out of the room and then turn around and say, one more thing? Like, What's going on, right? Anyway, so he's like, are we through? Perot is like, hmm. Perot stops listening halfway through because he hears that humming again. And he's like, okay, thank you, Dr. Ferrier. And he runs into the restroom to rinse his face because he feels distraught. As he's leaving the restroom, leaned up against the door, like a little kid that has a CPA license for the past seven years of his life, is Leopold. I suppose I'm nowhere on your list of questioning of who to interview. Perot looks down at the book that he's got in his hand. You're reading the terrifying Edgar Allan Poe. For a boy your age, it is not better perhaps Charles Dickens? He's a bit silly, don't you think? Another door slams open and Olga walks in with a bunch of laundry. Perot jumps. My father's jumpy, just like you. They call it war neurosis, battle fatigue. I think that's unfair. He's not tired, he's broken. He was with me at midnight if you were wondering. What? So Leopold is saying, you know, my dad couldn't have killed Joyce because he was with me at midnight. Oh, and that was his story. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, I admit, Leopold. So he was with you at midnight, yes? In the kitchen, waiting for Miss Rowena. He wanted to say goodnight. Of course. Her assistants came in just after, so they're still on your list. Everyone is on my list, Leopold. You left on the tap. Perot looks back, and the water is still running in the sink. Strange. Oh, um, I'm afraid I do not know myself tonight. You must be feeling things. Hmm? Voices. It's all Hallow's Eve. The dead are as close as they can be. You are dead too, sir, even if only for a moment. They see you as one of their own. One with something to say would be wise to come to you. You talk like Miss Reynolds, little boy. She only pretended to know. No wonder they got mad with her. What? Bruh. He's saying the kids, the kids are talking to him. And the kids don't like Joyce because she's pretending like she knows the kids, but they don't know the kids. Uh. Yeah. 
Then Perot goes to question the two assistants. So they're half siblings and they were acting a little bit sus throughout this whole thing. I will say that the guy half sibling, he genuinely believes that Joyce has magic, that Joyce was performing seances. Like even though they added a little bit of extra help with his little magnet machine and all of these things, he genuinely thinks that she's able to talk to the dead. The half sister, she's skeptical as she can be. She's like, honestly, I'm here for food. That's it. I'm here to get paid. I think that she's a scam, just like everybody else in this whole medium field. I don't believe a single thing that she says, but all we care about is getting to St. Louis, Missouri. And he's like, St. Louis, Missouri. He's like, we're in Italy, Venice, and you're trying to go to America? Like, what's going on? Like, Americans are trying to come here for vacation. They're trying to get married here. Where are you? What, what's going on? And she's basically like, I saw this movie once. And we thought that that's our heaven. Like, that's where we'll be happy. Where? St. Louis, Missouri. What oh. do you have against St. Louis, Missouri? No, no, I'm just I'm kidding. Just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. So the two of them, they were going to save up all the money possible to go to St. Louis, Missouri. But Perot accuses them of stealing from Joyce, like embezzling money off the top so that they can get there sooner. She denies that this has anything to do with it. She's like, if I'm stealing money from her, I wouldn't kill her. And he's like, yeah, well, what if she found out about it? I still wouldn't kill her. Like we've dealt with so much worse in our lives. Why would we kill her for something like that? He briefly suspects them the most, but eventually he has to move on to questioning. And throughout all of this, there's just weird things happening in the palazzo. Like he keeps hearing the humming. He keeps seeing visions of Alicia when she was young. It's like she's, it's like suddenly he's seeing all the paranormal. It's weird. Like he'll look into the, the mirror and he'll see a wet drenched Alicia behind him. Even all this, he still doesn't believe it. No, he's like, what is wrong with me? I'm finally so creeped out that I'm seeing things. I'm just beside myself. This is not me. The tensions get rough during this whole storm. And Maxime, the ex-fiance and the doctor, they end up breaking out into a fight. And a lot of it was just triggered by Dr. Leslie's PTSD. So they decide that they're going to put Dr. Leslie into a little music room. And he's just going to lay on the couch and rest while Perot tries to investigate everybody else. Leslie, the doctor, grabs Perot. He's the last one to walk out of the music room. And he's laying on the couch. Leslie is. And he grabs Perot's arm and says, I should have listened. I saw. Demons. Evil. They're everywhere in this house. You and me, we're the same. Wherever we go, death follows. Dr. Leslie, there must be a very rational answer for all of this. In the basement, there are bees. Upstairs, there is an ordinary killer. No, listen. And they both hear singing. Belief. The singing stops, and Perot goes to join Leopold and Rowena at the door. Rowena says, he can rest now in my music room. It's almost soundproof. We should lock it for his safety. She locks the door from the outside and gives the only key to Perot. But please, you keep the key. Mercy. Rowena grabs Leopold's hand and says, Come on, Leopold. It's time for more cake, don't you think? They walk off while Perot goes to talk to the ex-fiancé, Maxime. He's folding up his shirt sleeves to cut an apple. And he rants. Of course Rowena would say that I'm behind it. From her perspective, it's true. I did kill Alicia. Rowena believes what she wants. A medium saw Alicia murdered. Color me the gunman. You do not believe Miss Reynolds, her typewriter with the message from the departed of your initial, M for Maxime? A haunted house. Humans are so desperate to shape chaos into tidy stories. Double that in with distress. It wasn't a wash of a trillion stars. The blur of light in my family photo? Oh, must be granddad's ghost. We're all just looking for explanations. Alicia was mentally ill. It killed her. 
It didn't have to. A proper doctor would have treated her properly. Anyway, he cuts his finger on the apple that he's slicing, like on the knife that he's using. And Ariadne chimes in. Honey, good on the cut. Ancient antiseptic. Maxime sighs and reaches his finger into the conveniently placed honey pot on the table. And he tries to lick it off his finger and says, that's not wildflower. I can't place the honey. He goes into his pocket to retrieve a handkerchief and a picture pops out and lands on the floor. Perot is quick to pick it up for him. Ah, Alicia Drake. So it's like a picture of him and Alicia, but it's ripped in half. So it's just Alicia's picture. That's weird. Such sunshine happiness. Look at her smile. Torn into two. Hmm. Alicia tore up the photo in her room the night I ended it. It's the last we spoke. So you did break off your engagement. You heard. She wasn't rich enough for me. You carry her photograph in your pocket. You came tonight when summoned. I believe that you loved Alicia Drake more than the money. And yet, you walked away. Yeah, well, some women, you marry them. You marry their mother, too. So the mother did not approve of you. She wouldn't approve of the Pope, Perot. Rowena didn't know how to exist alone. Tore up the garden in spite. Took off abroad. Alicia was all twisted with guilt. Wanted to chase her around the world. And I finally realized I would never be the most important thing in her life. So you broke it off and broke her heart. All because a woman made you feel small? I returned to Venice to beg her to take me back. When I heard she was sick, Rowena wouldn't let me see her or show her my letters. The next time I saw Alicia was in a coffin. Maybe it was my fault. If you will permit, could I see your invitation, please? Maxime reaches into his pocket and pulls out a typewritten letter. No signature, nothing. A simple note. No distinguishing language. Then he goes with Ariadne to now question the bodyguard. And he sits him down and says, how did you become a policeman? The bodyguard is flabbergasted. Are, you, are we seriously doing this? I'm your bodyguard. My father was a cop. Family business, basically. Never knew anything else. Yet you retired early, only last year. Yeah, the family business was no longer for me. Perhaps never was. I had the strength, but not the skin. I drank when I couldn't sleep and I never slept. You were a policeman once, Perot. You can understand. Eventually you get a case and you know it's the last one that you can stomach and you just know. What case was it for you, Vitali? Why did you lie about never having been here when you clearly had? You knew precisely where to find the hidden telephone. The case was such a spectacle. The family deserved their privacy. But you were the policeman on duty when Alicia Drake was found dead. Yes, I pulled her from the water, retired the next day. Soon to become my excellent bodyguard, the dragon at my gate who not once permitted a soul to pass. Yet this morning, you interrupted me to ask if I indeed knew the woman with the apples. So many months, my peace undisturbed, you resolutely guarding me from curiosity or company, grown men cast into the canal. Ariadne Oliver waltzes straight through my door. Why? Because you were in on it together. The author and the bodyguard working with the medium. All in cahoots. Feigning disdain. Conspiring to bring me to this seance to make me a fool. Basically, he's saying, you are getting paid by the author to bring me here to make me curious about Joyce the fool and set up this whole situation where I don't know what's going on and the book will sell as the greatest detective in the world could not figure this out. Ariane looks shocked. I mean, but then she realizes it's too late. I'm very worried about you, Perot. 
Perot ignores her and continues. Details of Alicia Drake's life and death provided by the policeman who was present at her death. Details of me provided not by divination, but by letter from you. So remember how Joyce brought up Catherine? Yeah, that was just Ariadne. Mediums and magic, ghosts and gods, fame for the medium, a percentage to you, the bodyguard, and your literary standing restored, authoress. The woman who stumped Hercule Perot. Not Joyce Reynolds, but Ariadne Oliver. Ariadne tries to reject the idea. She shakes her head, but she knows it's only more insulting to act like this isn't what happened. So she wanted to stump Hercule Perot. Is that that, is that, that big of a deal? She wanted to write in her book that the medium was fake and she was creating a false reality for Perot and he fell for it. How she got into his mind and stumped him. That was the goal, okay? <sighs> Won't you forgive me? Apparently only God can forgive. I wrote you up as a genius in all my past books, Perot. You would have nothing without me. Why shouldn't I use you to sell books? Genius? That's what they call you. You're a fool and you have an ego, a black cloud that lures death. And you know it too. That's why you quit. Is that why you killed Joyce Reynolds? I did not kill Joyce Reynolds. Your book, An Instant Legend, if Joyce Reynolds is dead. Come on, you're just tap dancing now. Why would I kill Joyce Reynolds? I have no reason to. You two are working together to conceal murder. And she's like, no, we're not. And at that moment, one of the assistants of Joyce Reynolds slams open the door and says, the key, we need the key, come quick. They chase after her. There's someone else in there. Hurry, hurry, hurry. They follow her to the door where Leslie is sleeping. Perot rushes to grab the key from his pocket, opens the door. By this point, everyone in the house runs into the room, including Leopold, only to stop dead in their tracks. Leslie is found on the ground, not on the couch, and there is a knife shoved into his back. He's wow. dead. But it was locked. Exactly. Is there other entrance? This no. is the only way in. Rowena turns to Perot, and you had the only key. Not possible. Ariane agrees. No, it's not possible. I was right in front of Perot the whole time. There's no way he could have. Nicholas states, he was shouting at someone in here. I could hear from outside. They look at Maxine. No, I, I mean, I hated the guy for crying out loud, but I didn't want him dead. He's got a child for Christ's sakes, guys. Anyways, I was outside. I was trying to get in with you guys. Desdemona nods. It's true. The doctor was alone in here. Not alone. Not in this house. The kids. The children. He was a doctor. The children's vendetta. Tonight, Joyce, the nurse, is dead. Leslie, the doctor, dead. The bodyguard is panting and he's pacing the room. I just don't understand. There's no other way in. If this room isn't safe, nowhere's safe. None of us are safe. Nothing cute men could have done this. Ariane gets up angry and emotional. And she quotes Perot. It is only for us to prove that these apparent impossibilities are in reality not such. Fix it. Figure it out. Let the detective detect. And she walks out with everybody else. Perot goes back to Alicia's room to investigate. And he finds two things of interest. Remember that little teacup at the edge of the table? He keeps looking at it. So there's something about that teacup. And then he crawls on the ground and he finds the other half of the picture. It's Maxime's picture. So Perot runs to the gate, locks it down again. Everyone's trying to leave. He looks at the group and he says, tonight, we are all afraid. There have been two impossible murders. Each murder appears committable only by phantom, as if the living have been killed by the dead. Olga says, appears, you know something. 
Perot says, I must consider Miss Reynolds' assistance. Survivors, desperate and threatened. The ex-police now bodyguard, who has been in this house before each time before death occurs. The authoress, determined, capable, murderously clever. Our avenging angel, Olga Semenov, so keen on justice as she prescribes it. The former love, full of rage for the doctor, and only the fragment of a photograph to remember such happiness. But there has been a third death, which explains the other two. The murder of Alicia Drake committed by... And everyone is waiting silently. Her mother. Her murderer. Everyone's staring at Rowena. A mother who killed her own child, then killed twice more to hide her terrible sin. (laughs) How dare you, after all I've suffered, to accuse me of harming my little girl? Your little girl had grown. You could not fathom losing her to anyone else. In a rage, you tore up your own garden of rainbow flowers. Flowers? We're talking about flowers right now? But you replanted your garden, not with a rainbow, but with a single color. The single color that could give you what you would not live without. All night, I am hearing, seeing things which are not here. I begin to believe in the impossible presence of ghosts, when in fact, I have been doped, drugged with a hallucinogenic poison. There is a poison in the flowering species of any list of species. It is the highest concentration of the nectar that concentrates further when processed by bees into honey. They call it delibal. Basically, he's saying, you know how she's harvesting bees? There was poison in the honey. And he noticed the teacup in Alicia's room. It was probably poisoned with honey. Mm. And he had drank a sip of tea and it was probably poisoned with the honey because Rowena, when she received the tea earlier from Ariadne, she did not drink it. Interesting, no? And he says, mad honey. A mere teaspoon of this poison induces weakness, fever, hallucination. You replanted it with the same toxic flower that would produce poison honey. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Your daughter was not possessed. She was poisoned by a mother who could not let her go, who lovingly spoon-fed controlled doses of poison honey into her tea, keeping her just sick enough to prevent a reunion with her repentant love. Weak, helpless like a child again. Yours again. Until a mistake. Mrs. Semenov watched Alicia while you slept at last. Night fell and Olga grew frightened when inevitably Alicia woke, I'm sure disturbed again. But what to do? And not knowing the real truth, Olga Semenov did what she believed you would do and served Alicia Drake calming tea sweetened with honey. Too sweet. It killed her. Olga sobbing. I didn't know. I didn't know. Alicia Drake did not run to her balcony to commit suicide. She had overdosed on your poison and her heart had stopped in her sleep. You returned from your rest to find her dead. And then you made your monstrous choice. You made the mark of the children's vendetta. You cut her. You threw your own daughter in the canal and you made her self-exit. A victim of legend, of ghost. Your love-blind and incapable doctor found nothing to arouse suspicion at the inquest. The police, predisposed to superstition, easily satisfied. The poison jar left in the linen cupboard by the careless housekeeper. You had got away with killing your own child until... Ariadne, the author, drew something to my attention. Remember when Ariadne asked... Where did the money go? And she responded, I can't afford to fix this place. There's usually only one answer. Blackmail. We see a flashback of Rowena getting letters of people writing, I know of the poison, your payment for silence, or the world will know. I suspect that someone had found you out, and so you paid for their silence. Again and again, you kept paying. But now with your fortune gone and this house unsaleable at any price, you were desperate to get out from under the blackmailer's thumb. But who could it be? 
Your obvious suspect was Dr. Leslie. Perhaps he was not so naive a witness. Perhaps finally he recognized the poison symptoms. And then you received your letter from the unholy Miss Reynolds claiming messages from your lost daughter. Too many intimate details known. Teasing knowledge of your crime, her services offered at a heavy price. Surely this was your blackmailer. She had to be stopped to be safe. Both Miss Reynolds and Dr. Leslie had to be stopped. But how? The seance in a haunted house on Halloween. The perfect opportunity to conceal the murder of you suspected of blackmail. Hiding behind superstition, legend, fear. But in your haste, you mistake the wearer of the mask. You tried to kill me. Rowena scoffs. I was with Mrs. Semenoff at midnight. She was. We were together. I saw the time. You saw the time on the clock in the music room where she had asked you to wait. A room which is practically soundproof, which she herself had sealed, and in which she had previously changed the time where you could not have even heard the true midnight bell. It read midnight when it was really after Joyce Reynolds' death. And what about Leslie? She wasn't anywhere near him. Indeed, she made a show of the locked door, giving me the sole key. But you could not kill Leslie with a knife. Your murder weapon would be by telephone. The phone line from outside was dead, of course, because of the storm. But the internal line remained clear. No telephone call could come from outside the house, only from inside. You were in the dining room, and you called into the sealed music room, and you told him, I know you're blackmailing me. You confessed everything to him, to being the murderer of Joyce Reynolds for staging your daughter's own self-exit, and he said it's not possible. And then you made your threat. Do exactly as I tell you, or I'll kill Leopold. So he put the knife up against the wall and leaned his back into it. And Alicia, you poisoned her. To protect her. To control her. To keep her safe from Maxime. Rowena backs up and the whole crowd is looking at her like she's crazy. So she runs up all the way to the roof. Perot is chasing after her. She gets up to the balcony railing overlooking the canal. She's saying, I couldn't let her go. Alicia was mine. And Perot watches as he thinks Alicia's ghost comes up and drags Rowena down to die. That's it. What? Yeah, that's it. A what? Yeah, she's dead. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. I'm so sorry. But you want to know who the real blackmailer in all of this was? Yeah. Leopold, the son. He said that he just wanted to help his dad. And he thought if his dad didn't have to work anymore or worry about money, then he could recover and rest from his PTSD. Uh huh. He could tell. He knew. He put two and two together that Rowena killed her own daughter. So he blackmailed her. And now he feels like his dad's murder is his fault. Yeah. Okay. So with all that blackmail money, he's now going to go live with Olga, the housekeeper, be raised as Olga's child. And half of the blackmail money he's going to give to Joyce's assistant so they can make it to St. Louis, Missouri. Why in the world? Um, can I tell you something about this? I love Agatha Christie. Who the f*** made this movie? Who the fork made this movie? The dialogue is so boring uh-huh. i almost fell asleep twice watching uh-huh. this movie like genuinely guys i've cut out like 70 percent of this movie all they do is talk oh my biggest nightmare yeah all they do is talk and the talking is not engaging mm. like they talk really weird they yeah. talk in ways where i'm like i feel like they're not really talking like you know how some movie dialogues i'm like these people are not talking like no one would talk like this in real life these people are not having a communication 
and like nothing's going on right now. Yeah. They're both just like saying things that kind of sound cool, but they're not communicating at all. That was the whole movie. I thought that it would get vibier. It actually stopped getting vibey the minute that Michelle Yeoh was gone. And I'm not saying like it's her, but like, I don't know. I don't know if it just dragged on too long, but like I was expecting, you know, you're stuck in a palazzo. There's a storm. I was expecting like more increasing anxiety. Like every second that passes, I was expecting to feel more and more claustrophobic because I'm imagining that's how Agatha Christie would have done in her book. She's really good at creating environments of claustrophobia where you as a reader, you start reading faster and faster and you feel like, oh, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. This movie, I'm breathing slower and slower. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was so bad. I'm, I'm hoping the book is better. I'm imagining the book is a million yeah, times better. Yeah, they wouldn't make yeah. a movie then. No, and I just don't know why they did that with the movie. It was really weird. I get it, like, the time frame is supposed to be after the war, so I'm sure they talk differently back then, but, like, you really didn't have to make it like this. It, You know, it was one of those movies where the dialogue felt overly pretentious mm. to the point where I'm like, it's a murder mystery, y'all. This is not, like, a historical, you know recreation of an event yeah. it's like a novel like we don't have to be that serious right now because i had no idea what was going on huh? and at one point i stopped caring who was dead which is like not my vibe like murder mysteries i'm like wow i really want to crack the code this time i'm like who's dead okay they're dead <laughs> like it was really bizarre anyway that was my movie rant um I'll be back with the book ASAP. I'm really excited. This one's just taking me a honker to get through because I've just been focused a lot on other things, but I will be back. Let me know your thoughts on this one and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.